hey, y'all, thank you so much for tuning into this message. We hope that it speaks to your life. And if you have questions, please contact us. You can contact us on the website, thousandhillsranchchurch.com or thousandhillsranchchurch at yahoo.com. And then you can also call us at 580-216-6427. And may God use this message to change your life. Gunsmoke, starring James Arness as Matt Dillon. Anybody ever watch Gunsmoke? Can I get a witness? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good show back in the day. Uh, you saw the Gunsmoke idea, um, the, the, the lead-in to, you know, to the show there. Last week we showed the Lone Ranger uh, intro. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. I, you know, I believe that um, one of the coolest things about the old westerns, about Gunsmoke and about you know, Lone Ranger and all those shows back in the day. Here's the cool thing about it. The stunts. I said this last week, but I love the stunts. I love it when they jump off their horses and it's for real. It's not a digital man, you know, and all that stuff. I love watching that. There are some great stuntmen that are probably retired now because they don't have a job because of all the digital stuff. But I love the stunts. I love all of that stuff. But here's another thing that I love about the old westerns. You always knew who the good guys were and you always knew who the bad guys were, right? You always knew them because the, the bad guys wore the black hats, like a bunch of you bad guys in here. See, I got a brown hat, I can say that. Or, you know, you knew the good guys because the good guys wore what color hat? The white hat, right? I mean, so you had the good guys wearing the, or the, the white hats. You had the bad guys wear, wearing the black hats. Well, here's the thing, and this is how I kind of want to tie this in. You know, our culture, I love change. I love it. I love changing. I, I have this, this um, I guess it's the disease, <laughs> because I don't like things to stay the same a lot. You know, if my house has been, you know, situated one way, or the outside's been situated one way, I want to move it. I want to paint it. I want to build it. I want to do something different. I love change. I love changing our church, because if we don't change, then we will not continue to reach the next generation. Amen? And so if you don't like change, don't Come back, because we're going to change. We're going to keep changing. And I said this before, maybe to someone, but here's the thing. If we get to where space shuttles are on the earth, I'm going to have a horse-shaped space shuttle. <laughs> and we're going to reach cowboys that like space. You know what I'm saying? And so you just, uh, just know that I love change. But here's the thing. The culture has created a new hat, and I call it the gray hat. And some of you guys got gray hats on, and I think that's funny. Because you guys are like the target of every joke after church. You got a gray hat, you know. But here's the thing. I believe our culture has created this gray hat um, culture and this, this gray hat that people put on. And, and you say, well, what's that mean? Here's what I mean by that. Uh, the gray hat is the hat that doesn't really stand for black, doesn't really stand for white. It's just kind of in the gray, right? Ah, that's okay for you, but it's not okay for me. Oh, that, that sin is, you know, sin maybe for you, but it's not, you know, sin for me. That truth is, it applies to you, but it, it doesn't apply to me. And we've created this gray culture where nothing is right, nothing is wrong. Whatever feels good, you do it, and it'll be okay in the end. Well, here's the thing. At Thousand Hills Ranch Church, I am committed to preach against the gray hat agenda. 
I'm, I'm convinced that our, that our culture has a problem, and it's not um, the people. It's a spiritual battle that we face every day. Some people, again, they want to fight, you know, the liberals. They want to fight the, you know, the media. They want to fight all those things, and there is a place where we need to stand in Washington against what's right and what's wrong, right? Because the government's not the answer to our problems, amen? But here's the thing, you know, again, if we're going to fight this gray agenda, we've got to realize that, that, that there is only one truth. And I posed two questions last week. And here are the questions that I posed last week. Number one, how do we fight the gray hat agenda? How do we fight the gray hat agenda? And number two is this, how do we love our neighbor that we disagree with on a spiritual, moral, or biblical level? So how do we fight the great agenda, and how do we love our neighbor that we disagree with? I think those are great questions. I don't know about you, but I want to I learn uh, uh, how to do these things. You know, here's, here's what else I've learned. Well, I've learned that, that uh, as Christians, we are called to fight for truth, right? Again, the world says, fight with hate. Boycott. I mean, if they're the enemy, you just get rid of them. They're the enemy, just get it. I mean, just, just take them out. Now, listen, we are not called as Christians and as the church to fight the way that the world says we're supposed to fight. Again, we're on a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. See, a lot of people want to go to blows with other people, and they just want to fight and argue all the time. We're not going to do that. Um, We're going to fight it in a spiritual way. And one of the greatest weapons that we have is the Word of God. There's two great weapons that we have as Christians. One is the Word of God and the other one is prayer. And guess what? They're both not natural. They're supernatural weapons that we have to fight this spiritual battle. And here's the thing. If we are going to make a difference in this world, then we have to be a Bible-believing Christian. Um, there are a lot of people that say, hey, I'm a Christian, but the Bible, not so much. (laughs) Well, here's the truth. You can't have one without the other. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, then you have to follow his word. And and again, some people are like, ah, I think I'll just follow my word. I, I tend to be like that. You know, I know better. I know how to get this done. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. And guess what happens when I do it myself? I fail. And so as Christians, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, then you need to be a Bible-believing Christian. There is a difference. I know some people that are calling themselves Christians, but when I bring up the word and I'm like, hey, dude, you ought to do this, they're like, nah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, let's keep growing in the Lord. Let's learn more about, you know, God's word. And, And a lot of people say, well, Bo, that's not politically correct. I mean, this book, you know, a lot of people don't believe in this book. Well, here's the thing. The Bible is not politically correct. Amen. I mean, seriously, I said it last week, and I'm sick, of the, I'm sick and tired of the media shoving down my throat what I should believe about my culture, what I should believe about my world, what I should believe about my kids, what I should believe about anything. I'm sick of it, and I'm spitting it out, and I'm going to believe in the Word. <clears throat> and, so, and so, again, I don't care about being politically correct. I mean, obviously, we're going to respect people. Uh, We're going to love people, but I don't give a rip about being politically correct when it contradicts the Word of God. Um, So, 
part two is today. And I said last week that I was going to cover question number two, uh, how to love your neighbor uh, that you disagree with, but I'm, I'm actually going to lie. I lied. <laughs> Preachers lie. Just so you know, I lied. I'm going to actually do that next week because God told me to preach more about this, uh, how to fight the, the, the gray hat agenda with the truth of God's word. Here's the thing. Last week I said you need to fight the gray agenda with the word of God, but I didn't really show you how. I hate that. I hate walking away going, dude, I just challenged them to do something that I didn't equip them to do. And so I'm going to try to help equip you today to use the word of God to fight the gray hat agenda. And, and so here's the thing. I'm a practical preacher. Um, when I think about things, I think about them in a practical way, a layman's type of way. I don't think about them in a, in a scholarly way, but I'm going to get a little scholarly today. Do I need to button my collar like this? and put some glasses on or something. But we're going to look a little scholarly today. But here's the thing. When I, when I think about the Word of God, I think, here's the, here's the question that I ask. How do I even know that the Bible is true? Anybody ever ask that question? It's okay. Raise your hand. Come on now. How do I even know the Bible is true? I mean, here's the thing. If you were to put yourself outside of this Christian worldview and you were to put yourself in a, uh, the world's view and you go, hey, uh, I know the Bible is true because the Bible says that it's true. They'd go, you're dumb. I mean, so you think that the Bible is true because it's, it says it's true? They would look at you like you're stupid. And, and so here's the thing. I asked that question to myself. How do I even know that the Bible is true? And I'm going to briefly uh, tell you why I'm convinced that the Bible is true. And again, I'm not a biblical scholar. I study hard. I study for hours every week, and, and, and I still get it wrong sometimes. But here's the thing. Here's how I know that the Bible's true and I, why I believe it's true. Number one is this. It's reliable. It's reliable, and this is where we're going to get a little scholarly. Anybody into history? Bunch of nerds. I hate history. History's boring, all these history majors over here, you guys, you can have it. <laughs> you can have all the history you want. I, I'll give it to you. But here's the thing. History is necessary, it's, uh, and it is kind of fun. And so here's the thing. Uh, let me give you some history about the Bible. And I'm going to try to give it to you in the simplest terms that I can. Here's the thing. The Old Testament. You know, the Bible's, uh, you know, if you don't read the Bible, the Bible is actually uh, split into two different uh, groups, testaments. Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament comes toward the front of the Bible. The New Testament comes toward the back of the Bible. Um, you can look up in the contents right here. You can find all the books of the Bible that are in the Old Testament. You can find all the books of the Bible that are in the New Testament. And so uh, what about the Old Testament? Well, here's the thing. The earliest Hebrew, and what it, that's the language that it was written in, the earliest Hebrew manu, manuscript of the Old Testament that we had dated back to the 9th and the 10th century A.D., and it was called the Masoretic Text. You know why? Because it was put together by the Masoretic people. Okay? So you had this. This was the, this was the oldest manuscript that we had of the Old Testament, 9th and 10th AD, 9th and 10th century AD. Well, a huge thing happened. And in 1947, uh, some shepherds actually found what they call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Come on now. The Dead Sea Scrolls. And you say, well, where were they found? They were found by the Dead Sea, right? 
Um, I have actually been to the Dead Sea. I've actually swam in the Dead Sea. You cannot go to the bottom. It's 100 times more salty than the saltiest sea. And when you try to go to the bottom, you bloink right back up like you've got a life jacket on. I was going to bring a picture of me, uh, you know, swimming, but I didn't want to show off my body. <laughs> didn't want anybody to be tempted. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <clears throat> Some of you guys will get that later. Um, but here's the thing. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And you say, well, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, they were 800 scrolls that were found in 11 caves right outside of the Dead Sea. And you say, well, why were they there? Well, they were there because some shepherds, or not some shepherds, some scribes, people that write stuff down, they wanted to hide them because the enemy was coming to get them and destroy them, and they wanted to save the history of the Christian faith. And so they hid them in these 11 caves, right? And until 1947, they were hidden there when a shepherd was coming by with his sheep, and he found these Dead Sea Scrolls. And so here's the thing. You've got the Masoretic text, or 9th and 10th century AD, and then you've got the Dead Sea Scrolls that date back, get this, they date back 800 to 1,000 years earlier than the Masoretic text. You get it? Are you with me? I'm losing myself here. <laughs> 800 to 1,000 years before the latest manuscript that we had. So we found something that was written earlier than what we had. Now, here's the thing. When they compared the Masoretic text to the Dead Sea Scrolls, guess what? They found that with this 800 to 1,000-year gap, they were amazingly 95% identical. 95% identical. And you say, well, what was the matter with the 5%? Spelling. <laughs> Spelling and word phrases. Nothing in each of those manuscripts, the Masoretic and the Dead Sea Scrolls, were different that would change the truth of God's word. It was spelling between 800 and 1,000 years. I don't know about you, but that's amazing to me. Okay, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament, get this, the New Testament, compared to other literature of the day, is there's so much more evidence to, to trust in the reliability of the New Testament. Um, is there a table that we can pull up there? Yeah, look at this. The manuscript evidence of the ancient writings. Look over on the left, you see the author, Caesar, Plato, whatever that word is, Tacitus, Sedemus, Homer and the Iliad. And then you see the New Testament. Look at all the right, the, where, when it was written. You know, uh, the Caesar, 100 to 44 BC, and then 427, all that stuff. And then look down to the New Testament, 40 to 100 AD. And then the earliest copy that we have, I mean, Caesar's is 900 AD. That's the earliest that we have. Now, look down to the New Testament, 125 AD. That's a long time ago, Right? The span between when it was written and the earliest copy, look at all those, 1,000 years, 1,200 years, 1,300 years, 1,000 years, 800, 500. But then look at the New Testament. There's only 25 to 50 years between when it was written and our earliest copy that we have. Now look at the number of manuscripts on the left. I mean, we've only got 10 of Caesar. We've only got, you know, 643 of Homer, the Iliad. How many of you guys read Homer, the Iliad in college? Very dumb. I hated it. No, you guys probably loved it. I didn't like it. 
But look at that. I mean, look at the New Testament. 40 to 100 A.D. is when it was written. The earliest copy that we have is 125 A.D. And then the time span between those two is only 25 to 50 years. And there's over 24,000 copies of that manuscript written in that day. I don't know about you, but that's amazing to me. I mean, we trust the Iliad and the Homer and we teach it from Homer in our schools, in our colleges, but we don't trust the Word of God. There's 24,000 copies of it. And you say, well, what's all that mean? Listen to this. While all the other manuscripts you would think, you know, that if there's 24,000, there's got to be some discrepancies. I mean, there's got to be a massive amount of discrepancies in, in those 24,000. Here's the, here's the truth that they found. These New Testament manuscripts, guess what? All 20, out of all 24,000, they agree in 99.5% of the text. 24,000 copies. You say, well, what was the 0.5%? Again, it was spelling. Some guys couldn't spell like I could, like I can't. I can't spell either. And you say, well, oh, you know, how could they be so accurate? I mean, how many copies, out of all those copies, how could they be so accurate? Well, the scribes were meticulous when they were writing these things. I mean, this is before the printing press. I mean, they were going like this. You guys don't even know what that means, kids. This is called writing. <laughs> you know, kids are like, tick, tick, tick. you know, this is called writing. Do they still teach how to write a letter in, in school? Do they do that? <coughs> they call it snail mail, right? Because it's so slow. Um, but here's the thing. And you say, well, what, is, what, is, what else does this mean? I mean, how, how do we know and, and, and how did that happen? I mean, how did, you know, the, the manuscripts get so, you know, agreeable? Well, here's the other truth about it. God is still in control. And if he wants the accurate copy of his word so that we don't get deceived, he can make it happen 24,000 times. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get a bigger amen? <laughs> I'm getting a little excited here about history. Can you believe it? What's wrong with me? No, I'm just kidding. So how do we know the word of God is true? It's reliable. Here's number two. You know why I believe that the, the word of God is true? It's because I've experienced it in my own life. You see, people want to argue with, you know, oh, that word of God is out of date and all that stuff. They want to argue with that, but they can't argue what I've experienced, right? I mean, if I've experienced it, you can't take that away. Here's the truth about God's word. You read other books, you read Homer, you read the Iliad, you read all those other books, but guess what the Bible does? The Bible reads you. Every time you read it, it will read you, it will analyze you, it will point things out in you that are right, it'll point things out in you that are wrong. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. So you say, well, what's that all that, what's all that mean? When you read the Bible, guess what? It changes you. It changes you. <coughs> Here's the thing. The people that wear the gray hats that want to compromise everything, listen, here's what they think. They think the Bible is oppressive. 
They think the Bible is just out of date. They think the Bible is out of touch with the current culture. Can I tell you the truth? The truth is the Bible stands for all time. It stands for all time and it stands for all people, not just in the first century, but in the 21st century. Can I get an amen? Let's get excited in here. Listen, if, if you can't get excited about the truth of God's word, why would someone else want to get excited? You guys need to get out of your little sourpuss little attitudes of being a Christian and being a drabby Christian, and you need to be excited about knowing the truth of God's word because it's going to get you to heaven one day. <clears throat> I mean, seriously, why would someone want to walk in here, and if you're not excited about the truth of God's word, why would they want to know the truth of God's word? I mean, seriously, I don't know. I don't understand that. But here's the thing. The Bible stands for all time. It stands for all people. And here's the truth. My experience is the opposite of the gray hat culture. My experience is this. I'm not oppressed by God's word. I'm freed. I'm not, you know, held captive by the rules and the regulations of God's word. I'm set free. I'm not, you know, again, hopeless. It's not just something that, you know, takes away the hope. I find hope in God's word. I'm not void of peace. I find peace in God's word. I'm not lacking love. I find love in God's word every time I read it. And the same can be said for you and for people outside this room. If they will read God's word, it will show them amazing things. It will free them from the things that haunt them their past, their failures, and their pain. And so you say, how do I know the Bible's true? It's reliable, and it's, it, I've experienced it personally. Now, here's, the, you know, here's what I want to leave you with. This is simply what I believe the Bible shows us. If you read this, you're going to find one of these three things. Number one is this. It shows us who God is. I mean, think about it. When you read the Bible, it shows you who God is. And guess what it shows me? It shows me that God is love. Look at 1 John 4.10 on the screen. It says, this is real love. Not that God loved, not that we love God, excuse me, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And you say, well, how does God show his love? He sent his one and only son to die on a cross so that your sins might be forgiven and so that you can make it to heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm not giving up my son. I don't love you that much. But God does. You say, no, he's not a God of love. I mean, he's a God of a pre I mean, again, I hear it all the time. Oh, I mean, that's just a bunch of crap. I mean, those rules are stupid. I mean, all that stuff. You know, listen, if you look at it that way, then you're just going to be a little turd for the rest of your life i mean seriously i mean i'll, I'll give you an, <laughs> was that too much <laughs> i'll give you an example my kids i love my kids i love them with all my heart i would die for my kids i want them, my kids to be happy i want them to have a good time i want them to have everything that they want but here's what i have to do sometimes i have to tell them no you know why? Because I love them. I mean, I have a little three-year-old who can't keep any clothes on. Anybody got any kids that, you know, as soon as they get to the house, they're naked? <laughs> uh, hopefully they're not 18. My, 
My son's three. And guess what? He'll sometimes run around naked. And, and if he grabs a whole pair of like scissors and stuff, you know what I have to do? I say, no, you can't run around naked. Why? Because I'm smarter than he is. He may cut his little pee-pee off or something. <laughs> that would be bad. But here's the thing. You know why I can say no to him? You know why? Because I'm smarter than him. Because I know what's best for him. I mean, again, you take an unbroke horse. Here's another example. An unbroke horse is useless. They're going to eat. They're not going to do anything good for you. They're going to look pretty in the, in the pasture, but they're not going to do anything. But a broke horse, a horse that has been disciplined, that has some wet saddle pads, that has been trained, guess what? That horse is useful. And you say, well, why do I have to follow all these rules? Why do I have to follow all these rules? All this stuff, you know, that God wants me to do, the Bible says that I have to do. Listen, God is the same way. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. But sometimes he's going to tell you no. You know why? Because he's smarter than me. He's smarter than you. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to be useful, not useless. And so, first of all, The Bible shows us who God is. Number two is this. The Bible shows me who I am. I mean, you read the Bible, guess what? You're going to figure out who you are. And I don't think it's very pretty sometimes, at least for me. Because when I look at the Bible, I go, dang, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not patient. I'm not loving. I'm not not forgiving. I read these things and I think, man, I'm not any of that stuff. But here's the other side of it. When I read those things, guess what it does? It refines me into that person. It molds me into that person. Then when I realize, hey, I'm supposed to forgive people, then I can actually forgive them because the word of God is in my heart and my mind and it gives me power to forgive them. And so Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. It's not just, you know, you, not just me. That's everybody on the face of the earth has sinned. All of us are sick with sin. All of us are going to die. All of us are going to be Without Christ, we are going to go to hell. And so I I thank God that it shows me who I am so that I can change myself and so that Jesus can change me. Here's the third thing, and I'm done. The third thing that the Bible shows me, it shows me God's design for how I'm supposed to live. Some people are like, dang, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to do this relationship? How am I supposed to, you know, date? How am I supposed to be married? How am I supposed to make money? How am I supposed to do all this stuff? The word of God will show you. If you will read it, it'll show you. Look at Joshua 1.8. It's my life verse right here. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I love that verse. You know why? Because it turns me right back to the word of God. Do you see what it says? I mean, don't let this book of the law, and it's talking about the Bible, depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Some of you guys got a bunch of money. Some of you guys are poor. Some of you guys got a bunch of stuff. Some of you guys don't have any stuff. But here's the thing. If you want to truly be successful, all you got to do is obey this. In the end, you win. In the end, you'll be blessed. In the end, you will do, 
you know, you, God will bless you beyond what this world could ever give you if you will apply it. And you say, well, what does that word meditate mean? When I think of meditation, I think of that Middle Eastern, um, um, you know, those little clingy symbol deals that you put on your finger. That's what I think of. But here's the best way that I can um, show you what meditation is. It's like chewing your cud. <laughs> I don't know about you. I watch cows chew their cud every now and then. It's enjoyable. But here's the thing. You know, a cow has four stomachs. And again, I'm not a vet, but I think they have four. Is that right? They have four stomachs or four departments or compartments in their stomach. Guess what they do all day? They eat, they swallow it, they regurgitate it, they eat it again, they regurgitate it, they eat it again, and they regurgitate it. That's called meditation. <laughs> Here's the thing, if when that cow swallows that grass, guess what it does? He chews it up, softens it up, gets the nutrients out of it, and then comes up and chews it again, comes up and chews it again. Guess what that that does? It helps him get all the protein, all the energy that he can get out of that grass, and it helps him grow, it helps him flourish, it helps him be healthy. Here's the truth, if you will bring in the word of God, if you will take this in daily, if you will bring it into your life and then you will meditate on it, you will bring it back up throughout the day. Maybe you just need to read one scripture, one verse and go, okay, Lord, I want to remember that through the rest of the day. Maybe you need to write it on the mirror. Maybe you need to write it by the speedometer so you don't get a ticket <coughs> like I do. <laughs> Dang it. I shouldn't have said that out loud. Put that scripture right there by the speedometer. Put it on the mirror in your house, in the bathroom. Put it on your toothbrush. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day. And then meditate on it. Here's what it does. It strengthens you. When God, when the devil opposes you and tempts you to do something wrong, guess what? The verse that you have just meditated on will come to your mind and you will be able to fight the devil. Here's the thing about the word of God. The word of God can overcome the devil on the devil's best day. The devil can be having his best day and the word of God can overcome it every day time and you say it's so hard to read the word of god it is hard it's hard to get up early sometimes it's hard to read you know the word sometimes even for the preacher it's hard but guess what it pays off you you guys walk through life and you don't have any peace you guys walk through life and you make one mistake after another mistake and i do that too but if i will read the word of god it will show me the truth and i don't have to make the stupid mistakes and so some of you guys, here, here's the deal. I want to challenge you. Some of you guys are like, I don't ever read my Bible. I don't think it's worth it. Here's the challenge. If you will read your Bible for the next 30 days, okay? Read your Bible for the next 30 days, and if it doesn't change you in any way, I'll buy you a steak on my own dime. Okay? Some of you guys are like, dang, that's awesome. It's not going to be at JV's. It'll be at Dan's. It's cheaper. <laughs> But listen, if you say, Bo, okay, I'm going to take that challenge. Read the Bible. Just, just one, I mean, and you say, where do I start? Don't start in the Old Testament. Don't. You'll, you'll get lost. It's, it's hard to read. Start in the New Testament, and I would challenge you to maybe start in the book of John. The book of John is a great book because it tells the story about Jesus. And it's easy to read. If you don't have a Bible that you can understand, don't go pull out Big Bertha, King James, 
you know, the big picture Bible that your granny had. Don't pull that out. Pull out a new version that you can understand. It's worthless to read a Bible that you can't understand. Pull out a version that you can understand. Start in the book of John and read it for 30 days. And if it doesn't change you in some way, then I will buy you a steak. I'll buy every one of you a steak. My wife's not here today, so I'm saying it. And so you say, Bo, how do we fight this gray hat agenda? You got to fight it through this. When temptation comes and tries to fit you for that gray hat, you need to say, no, that's the wrong size. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. How do I know the Bible's true? I believe it's reliable. Every time archaeologists dig up something, guess what, guess what that dig does? It confirms what the Word of God says. Every time. Many of you are here today and you've experienced the, the changing of the Word of God. When you're going through a hard time and you read the Word, it grants you peace. When you're thinking wrong thoughts in the middle of the night, it brings you peace. When you open up the Word of God and you begin to read it. Here's the truth. If I tell you not to think about a pink elephant, you're going to think about a pink elephant. If I tell you don't think about a pink elephant, don't do it. Don't think about a pink elephant. You're going to think about it more But here's the thing. We cannot reject that thought, but we can replace it. And if you try to reject wrong thoughts, if you try to reject, you know, temptation, if you try to reject all that stuff, you're going to think about it more. But if you'll open up the word of God and you'll replace the lies for the truth, then you will defeat it every time. And so I know the Bible's true because it's reliable. I know the Bible's true because I've experienced it. The Bible shows me who God is, and it shows me who I am, and it shows me how I'm supposed to live. And here's the thing. As Bible-believing Christians, we can stand on God's reliable word. But we need to stand unapologetically, but we need to stand compassionately and graciously. And so maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, Bo, what do I do? I don't even know this Jesus guy. Am I even going to be able to get anything out of the word of God if I just read it? Continue to read it. Even if you haven't trusted in God, because here's what God will do. He'll reveal himself to you as you read his word. But here's the truth. For you to truly experience the word of God like you should, you have to know Jesus personally. In other words, you have to submit yourself to him. You have to say, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross and I know you can forgive me of my sin and you can come into my life. If you want to truly experience the power of God's word, if you want to truly experience how to overcome temptation, you must know Jesus personally. Some of you know Jesus personally, but you don't read his word. I mean, and again, you're, can I just tell you, you're the one who's missing out. I mean, God has all kinds of treasures that he wants to show you. He wants to take away the wrong thoughts and provide truth into your mind and into your heart. And you're the one who's missing out. You think you're successful now? God wants to bring you to a whole nother level. 
He just asks you to read his word. He asks you to live it out. And so maybe some of you are Christians here today, but you're not reading the word of God. Oh, uh, you say, well, I pray all the time. Well, there's all kinds of people that pray. I hear that all the time. People say, oh, yeah, I pray all the time. Well, do you read the word of God? Do you ever fill your mind with the truth of the word? No. Well, maybe that's why you're so defeated all the time. And so some of you as Christians, you may need to say, you know what, Bo, I need to try more. I'm going to make a commitment to read the, the word of God every day. And I'm not, I'm not challenging you to try to be perfect because none of us are perfect. There are days where I miss reading the Bible. But if I read it the day before, I can remember what I read the day before and meditate on it the next day. And so maybe you need to commit to say, Bo, I'm going to start reading the Word of God. And I don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, listen, we've got free cowboy Bibles. We'll give you one today until we run out and we'll get more. And so listen, if we're going to fight the gray hat agenda, we've got to know the truth of God's Word. That's the way that we can fight. And we can do it in love. I hope you'll come back next week and listen how to love people that we disagree with. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to share your truth. And I know that the devil hates it. The devil hates it. But here's the cool thing. When I pick up the word of God, the devil trembles because he knows that there's more power in the word of God. There's no more power in the God of this universe than there is in the devil. And Lord, so thank you for allowing us to be a part of that power. And Lord, I praise you for everybody that's here today. May they walk out of here knowing that the word of God is what they have to stand on, they have to read it, and they have to apply it and chew on it every day. Lord, we thank you, and it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Again, we want to thank you for listening to this message, and if you have questions, please contact us. We would love to visit with you. Again, Thousand Hills Ranch Church at yahoo.com, or you can contact us by phone, 580-216-6427. And may God bless the ride you're on.